go down in shadows fall. Welcome to a world of mysteries, of conspiracies, of hidden and forgotten knowledge. There's a world more strange, more frightening, and more fascinating than most people ever imagined or dared to contemplate. Your parents, your teachers, never told you the whole story, either out of ignorance or fear. Your politicians may know, but they keep their mouths shut. The door is opening. Throw off your chains and blinders, arm yourselves with the truth, and take a walk along the razor-sharp precipice of the Outer Edge. That's right, once again, you are on the Outer Edge. I'm Tim Swartz. Now, usually, my guest host, guest host, oh my, my co-host, my, my, my good friend and uh, partner in crime, Mike Mott, is with me. But uh, unfortunately, tonight, Mike couldn't uh, be with us. So instead, I, I got to thinking, whom would be the perfect foil? for me tonight and of course I had to reach out to Mr. UFO himself Timothy Green Beckley Tim are you there Well you know this is a coup d'etat I said <laughs> I said I would be back and I am <laughs> for for, tho- for those who ha- who have missed me on the outer edge I hope you have been listening to unraveling the secrets because we have been doing that every week we have two sensational guests on, but we've got a sensational guest this evening, I understand, Tim. That's right. We have Mark Anthony, the psychic lawyer, or, or psychic attorney, I guess. Uh, oh, he's, 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 not, he's, not the, he's not the dancer. <laughs> no, no, not that one. <laughs> oh, oh, I see. Okay. Oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry. Did I, I, I didn't mean to mislead you. You know? <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll still do the program with us tonight, though, won't you? <laughs> Why, of course. <laughs> well, uh, Tim, you know, uh, Mark is, um, he is the author of a couple of great books. His uh, latest one is The Evidence of Eternity, Communicating with Spirits for Proof of the Afterlife. And uh, he uh, he's a fourth generation psychic medium, and just uh, his his books are absolutely excellent. Uh, and uh, I'm just so, so happy that... Uh, that he's well, with us uh, tonight. Well, well, you, well, you know, I'm not exactly in the dark uh, about Mark because I read an article that was uh, in the New York Post here. Uh, I think it was maybe six or seven uh, months ago. And I was planning to get in touch with him eventually to have him on my uh, program. There was an item in the newspaper, and you very seldom see uh, a ghost story or anything about the paranormal in a regular daily newspaper. But this was, I believe, on page three of the New York Post. And it involved a uh, house that was uh, haunted, uh, or actually I believe it was somewhat of a mansion, on Staten Island that had been owned by a very wealthy gentleman. Now, I don't remember all the details, but I, I do remember that, wow, this is actually in the New York uh, Post. How unusual. So may- maybe uh, we can get into that story in a little while because... I want to learn. I wanted to learn the details then, and I want to learn the details now. Yeah. That, well, now, okay. Now, isn't the post? <clears throat> excuse me. Isn't the post the the more? Um, oh, what's the uh, uh, tabloid esque of the uh, New York well, papers? Yes. You know, talk about being hypocritical. <laughs> they have the most right wing editorial. It's a Rupert Murdoch paper. The most right wing editorial uh, leanings that you could possibly imagine. 
but yet their editorial is all titillation, which is ah, okay. Uh, which sure. is okay by me because I don't read the newspaper to read anybody's political opinion. I can make up my own, uh, you know, uh, mind on that. But uh, yeah, I would say uh, out of the the newspapers in New York, uh, it's the one that I it's the one that I pick up uh, every day. Even though it's getting harder and harder and harder to find a place actually where you can buy a newspaper, uh, believe it or not, you know. It, it, the, uh, I would say the old days, we're not even going back that far. Uh, you know, there was a newsstand on, on just about every uh, corner. Most of them were um, uh, run by returning vets, you know, from the different wars. Mm -hmm. uh, they could get these things run free from the city. Uh, and, uh, you know, the little newsstands and stuff, you could buy almost anything. There, well, today, they're selling umbrellas and lottery tickets and uh, a soda and uh, Snapple and everything. But... Newspapers. I mean, you can't even buy a newspaper. You've really got to hunt around to find the uh, New York uh, uh, Post. And uh, on the weekends, it's impossible to find altogether. So you you got to rely on, I guess, on the Internet and on the, the Outer Edge and Unraveling the Secrets and PSN uh, Radio Network in, in order to find out what's going on in the world of the, of the spirit as well as the physical. Well, I would think, though, Tim, that with the post being uh, kind of tabloid-esque, like I said before, that there would be more of an abundance of, uh, you know, like the old Inquirer and, and Midnight magazines, and, you know, things like that. You know, more more ghost stories and UFOs and things like that. Uh, very now, uh, when the UFOs invaded Chelsea, uh, I guess that was what about five years ago now. It mm -hmm. did make the it did make the uh, cover of the uh, the paper, big color photograph of a. Of a uh, UFO, some said that uh, said it was uh, nothing more than a balloon, but uh, it was you know these balloons do take on odd shapes at uh, <laughs> at uh, a time you know I, there was a whole and, and I was on coast to coast that night talking about it and 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 so forth, but not really they didn't really publish that many articles uh, maybe because they don't have uh, anybody there who's really on the on the the, you know the trail of this. I, I don't know. It's, now in the old days, they had um, my buddy Steve Dunleavy, uh, who I met because he worked for the National Star, and right. I was like the National Star's chief um, paranormal UFO researcher. Uh, the first uh, issue of the newspaper, uh, the headline was something about giants uh, seen in um, oh, England or something, and it was a uh, my my um, investigation of the Warminster phenomena where these. Objects were coming over the town there, and uh, people were really being shaken up uh, by it. You know, they called it the thing, and it made all kinds of horrendous noise and shook the ground. And uh, a lot of celebrities went up there, including Mick Jagger from the Rolling Stones. They went to uh, uh, Cradle Hill and had UFO sightings, and there were tons of UFO pictures and all uh, taken. You know, so I always had a good knack for what to pitch the uh, the tabloids. But uh, you know, even the Daily News every once in a while will throw in a um, uh, an article, but usually there's no follow-up on it, and it's a you know pretty short uh, piece. If you um, want to find out more, you've got to get the uh, uh, the individual investigators on your show. Right. Well, okay. Let's let's do that. Uh, we have uh, we have Mark Anthony on the line with us right now. So, uh, Mark, uh, are you there? Yes, I am. How are you guys doing tonight? Well, We're pretty good. Great. Pretty good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, thank as you. Well as uh, can be expected. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, th thank you for being with us. And uh, well, let's. Uh, 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 Tim, why don't, you, why don't you ask him about that story? Uh, well, uh, on uh, Staten Island. It was on uh, Staten Island. Isn't that correct, Mark? 
it, it was. In fact, the um, the New York Post contacted me for a couple different things. Uh-huh. Apparently, the uh, I guess the apartment that Joan Rivers lived in uh, is reputedly haunted, and they asked me to to comment on that. And and what it is because I'm an attorney and because I'm a psychic medium, I'm the go-to guy when the legal system and the paranormal collide which is actually mm-hmm. happening a lot more these days. Uh, and and the question is, does a haunting or the reputation of haunting diminish property values or is it good for property values? And it depends on the situation. I know that a couple of years ago there was a case in Tom's River, New Jersey, where mm-hmm. a couple sued to get out of the lease because they claimed that the house they rented was haunted. And then there was a landmark case in the state of New York, uh, the Stambolsky case, where a judge actually rescinded, in other words, canceled a contract for sale of a house because the house was allegedly haunted. But what happened there was the the seller of the house used to take people on ghost tours and he promoted it but then he didn't disclose that when he went to sell it so the judge didn't make a decree that there is an afterlife and there are ghosts and all this he just said that that was a material um a material fact that was not disclosed so in the case of this mansion apparently the quote unquote haunted mansion <laughs> the uh <laughs> the property value increased because of it so the question is do you exercise uh, the haunting, or do you advertise the haunting? And so, <laughs> <laughs> exercise or advertise? And in a lot of cases, hauntings are good for business. Um, I got a funny mm-hmm. story, if you'll indulge me. I was out at uh, dinner with a friend of mine, and there is this restaurant in Rockledge, Florida, called Ashley's. And Ashley's is listed in, you know, the most haunted places in the United States. And it's by the railroad tracks. And it's, you know, it's a great restaurant. I, I always enjoy going there. And it was, has, has been, um, the reputation has been reputed to, to be haunted. So I'm having dinner there with another friend of mine who's a medium. And she's, uh, you know, one of these ghost hunters. And she does house clearings and all this. And I said, I don't feel anything. And she said, yeah, she said, I was here a couple months ago, and I felt this spirit, and I got it to leave. And then I told the manager of the restaurant, he goes, you did what? What the heck did you do that for? That ghost is good for business. People come here because they want to see a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> so, so before you charge in and start uh, trying to purge a place of ghosts, I, I think you need to clear it with the landlord first. <laughs> but... but uh, <laughs> Uh, that's great. You know, I it, it never occurred to me that there are a lot of uh, places like that that uh, that they use the uh, you know the the idea that that it's haunted to uh, to bring in business. Well, well I was in a play. I was in a play. Um, the town of Williams, which is uh, kind of the uh, closest town to the Grand Canyon. If you want to take a tour of the Grand Ca- uh, Canyon by um, train, you pick up at the train there in Williams. Now, it has a haunted bordello. Well, it's actually a bakery and gift shop now, but upstairs is the uh, remains, uh, you know, I guess they run them out as rooms uh, now for a tourist, of a, uh, of a bordello. And uh, that place actually now had more. Uh, the gal who was, um, she wasn't managing it, but she did a, a ghost tour out of there. She had more EVPs in that place 
than you could positively, you know, you could imagine. I, uh, the electronic voice phenomena has always fascinated me. I mean, I, I don't know whether it's the spirits of the deceased or, um, the wanderings of uh, energy fields and, and time travelers or uh, people from, uh, other dimensions it kind of puzzles me but uh, tell us a little bit more about the haunted um, uh, a place in staten island well the the question was can can hauntings hurt property values mm-hmm. and so they they consulted me on that and uh, and basically i said well the question does come down to x do you exercise or do you do advertise and in this case um it made the the building more attractive a lot of people like like the mystery and the history to have uh, to have hauntings there and what i explained that is in the field of law there are um properties which um which which can be affected by negative uh, things that have happened there. In, in other words, um, well, like a murder or something. Yes, yes, uh, murders. Um, hold on one sec. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the stigmatized, that's the word I'm looking for. There are certain properties that are stigmatized. And, in fact, in several, um, in several, several states, there are laws on the books that require um, disclosure of certain things, whether somebody died there, whether there was um, a... Um, a, a murder, a suicide. There, on some in some states, I think they've repealed these now. But they had to dis- disclose that somebody died of HIV. Uh, that was more prevalent, I think, in the eighties and nineties than it yeah. is in the millennial uh, mm-hmm. millennial time frame, because stigmatized properties can sell for for you know anywhere from ten to thirty percent less. Um, mm. And and so the question is: Is this big, big, imposing mansion on Staten Island has it been stigmatized? And it appears to have had the opposite effect. Um, I've been to several locations, like I said, like the Ashleys, but certainly the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado, which which prides itself on on having spiritual uh, phenomenon mm-hmm. there, and so people flock to these things. The Lizzie Borden House in oh, Massachusetts. Yeah. I mean, people go there and they pay a lot of money around. You know, whatever to to stay the night there because you know maybe they'll get that scared. And people, um, many people say, well, why would you do that? But then again, doesn't scary sell? Look at look <laughs> at all the horror movies that Hollywood makes. I mean, I went to see the Jurassic Park, the new one, or a Jurassic World mm-hmm. movie, and yeah, right. like, like I didn't know what was going to happen, right? You know, dinosaurs eating people. But I mean, I was like freaking out the whole time because they did it bigger and better than than before. And people get a thrill, they get a rush off of being frightened. And then there's also the paranormal investigators that that want to to study this phenomenon. Um, I've been a uh, part of a number of paranormal investigations, and I'm always with the teams where we're trying to obtain objective evidence and not go in with preconceived mo- notions. Right. Now, you see a lot of these TV shows, they walk up, there's a demon here, ah! you know, and they, they have the night vision <laughs> goggles, which they shake around, and everyone screams and runs, and, and I've yet to see anything 
captured on film in any of those shows. Um, certainly, uh, I'm not seeing an objective, um, uh, an approach to it. The scientific method is not being approached, but there are a, a number of ghost hunters who do take the scientific method um, of, of dispassionate observation to collect information before you walk in and say, I feel cold chills, therefore Lucifer himself is possessing this house. So <laughs> now, now, would you say, as far as the property value goes, does it depend on the type of haunting? I, I would think so. I would think so. Uh, see, now, I, I depart from a lot of my colleagues in, in the, the metaphysical world because I don't really buy the whole evil spirit thing. Um, there's a lot of non-human spiritual intelligence. In other words, there's a lot of different species in, in the spirit form. And they're, they're intelligent, and, and many of them... They don't necessarily care about interfacing with human beings. And when you encounter something like that and you get the cold chills, what I found is they're pure consciousness. They're an energy field which is interfacing with our electrical field. You know, that's why people can see auras and things like that because it's merely the radiation of energy that, that you're seeing coming off of somebody's body. So when a spirit's energy field interfaces with yours, you get an electrical physiological response which is cold chills and tingling. And it's the same physiological response that you get in the flight or, f- uh, f- uh, flight or fight response so immediately people assume that it's evil and negative and that's why they're afraid of it mm-hmm. but when you start analyzing these things they're not here to like i'm here to scare you and it's a lot of it i mean most of it and it isn't, isn't like that at all they're just as curious about us as we are about them and so it's not a negative thing and so that's what i try to explain to the to people and when they start looking at it that way now i know there's people that say things fly across the room they see devil faces and all this and and i have to keep an open mind to all of this but i think a lot of it is people jumping to conclusions and making assumptions without gathering empirical observational um evidence well i know the uh the the famous or infamous ghost hunters you know the warrens i mean it always seemed like that uh, any place that they would go to um it would be like oh yeah there's evil spirits and demons here and then, sure enough, boy, then the phenomena starts acting that way. You know, it's almost like, okay, you're going to call me an evil, you know, a demon or evil spirit? Well, take a look at this. <laughs> you know, just almost out of spite. And uh, <laughs> that's a good way. That's a good way of looking yeah. at me. Yeah, let's go antagonize a spiritual entity. Um, I, you know, I mean, the way I look at spirit communication needs to be re- approached with reverence and respect. And that doesn't mean like funny or gripping or very deeply emotional things might not occur during during the contact. But but these people that just they have to find devils everywhere. And mm-hmm. you know, well, first off, I don't believe in hell or de- the devil, um, even though I was raised Catholic. Uh, my my study in the spiritual realm has found that this this is is a lot of mythological medieval superstitious nonsense. Now, do you believe do you believe in a uh, in a spirit world as such? Uh, you know, I'm I've somewhat studied the history of spiritualism in this uh, you know in the United States and also in other parts of the uh, the world where uh, like spiritism in Cuba and in Brazil. Is still very very popular. Uh, Alan Kardak, uh, his uh, his church organization, whatever they call it, 
revolves around the belief in the uh, the afterlife and in reincarnation, and he still has millions of followers um, uh, in in that part of the world. But yet here in the United States, I, I think a lot, don't most people look at uh, communication with the other side kind of as entertainment? It, it depends on who you talk to. What I'm seeing is, and this was confirmed by the, the Pew, um, Pew Research uh, Institute, is it appears that evangelical um, and fundamentalist uh, Christianity, despite its very vociferous uh, presence in politics and the media, appears to be um, decreasing, and that a lot of Americans... Um, are turning away from these fear-based religions and now are looking for more spiritual connection to, to God. And if you look particularly on the west coast of the U.S., uh, I was just on tour in Los Angeles, and I'm going to be heading to Seattle at some point later this year. Um, especially the Pacific Northwest is considered the least religious, yet the most spiritual. So people want to know about the afterlife, they want to know about God, and they want to know about spirit communication. And while some people look at it as entertainment or, or um, uh, mythologically uh, or unsubstantiated, um, my new book, Evidence of Eternity, explains the reality of spirit communication based on science, theoretical physics, human physiology, and evidence. And it takes an objective um, approach to this. And I take the woohoo airy fairy out of it. I take the fear and the superstition out of it. And I explain how the other side is is a different frequency. And and I really like what you said, Tim, about you know studying the history of spiritualism, because our understanding of it was largely developed in the Victorian era when spiritualism uh, started appearing in the United States and in the UK across the Great Pond. And in Evidence of Eternity, I'm redefining our understanding of spirit communication by introducing new terms and concepts that are more in step with the Internet age than they are with the antiquated horse and buggy age of the Victorian era. Now, have you had any, uh, like... uh uh, research with the done research with the EVP, or some people are even claiming that they're picking up uh, uh, visual pictures and videos on their TV sets of uh, uh, of the the other side, the spirit uh, realm. On the computer, messages are supposedly uh, coming through. And I've even talked to uh, people who have had loved ones that have passed away, and after they have passed away, messages have been left uh, either on their cell phone or on their home answering machine. Uh, yes, I, I've seen all of the above, um, and people come to me with, with that type of uh, information and evidence almost on a daily basis. Um, something happened to me that I'd like to share. I was at a paranormal uh, conference at, at the, the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, and I was on the other side. I mean, it was in a big conference room, and uh, my manager was walking by uh, an EVP display, and all of a sudden... She started here, get Mark, get Mark, coming out of this thing. And the guy that was uh, working with it says, get Mark. And she looked and she goes, hey, Mark, come over. And I walked over um, to where they were. And I said, what, what's going on? And I start hearing, love you, bro. And, and I almost, I, I swear to God, I almost passed out. 
because mm-hmm. my best friend had committed suicide two years earlier, and that was his voice coming out of it. And he always used to call me bro, and he was a surfer. Mm-hmm. And I said, and I, I said, and I said, is that Billy? He goes, love your bro. He goes, and then I heard, dude, and I'm like, oh my god. And and my manager, her name's Rocky. She looked at me. She goes, that's Billy's voice because she knew him. She goes, oh my god, that's Billy's voice. And and I you know I was across and and, and the, the guy selling this stuff I'd never met him before he didn't know anything about about my friend uh, dying, and it, it was uncanny. So that was my personal experience with that. But then I've also been on investigations where they've got the equipment set up and and something came through and and one of the the uh, researchers or the 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 ghost hunter said it's a demon and everyone starts screaming. So wait a second, I thought it said Stephen. And somebody else said, yeah, it sounded like Stephen to me, too. No, no, it was Stephen. It's like, no, no, Stephen, Stephen. I go, it's Stephen, not demon. And so that's where you get the people that jump yeah, to the besides, besides, we we know that demons never acknowledge that they're uh, that they're demons. So uh, nobody's going to say, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a demon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like someone that comes to your window at 3 o'clock in the morning to hatch you to go, hello, I'm a psychopathic serial killer. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's and certainly I'm not encouraging you know, anyone to do things like that, but but it, it's, it's jumping to conclusions. And in what I do as a medium, um, jumping to conclusions can be really, really bad. I was on a, a cable TV show in Long Island, New York, a couple of years ago, and the host of the show is a medium. She's really great. Uh, I just love her to pieces, but she's a bit excitable, and she asked me to do readings on audience members, and I, I was drawn to this one young lady, and so there's a man coming through. I said, you know, very disciplined and stern, and I see this big, shiny badge in a uniform, and she, his tears are coming from her eyes, and she said... Oh, my father was a police officer. Okay, so I'm getting a description. And I said, and I hear the word shots. Well, the host of the show, she's up on her feet. She goes, shot. He was shot in the line of duty. I'm hearing shots, too. Hmm. And before I could say something, the, the, the woman in the audience says, well, no, he was in a bar with his friends doing shots of tequila when he got a heart attack and dropped dead. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I swear, I swear, you know, and I'm like, oh, no, no, because it's like you don't. And what it was, the host yeah. of the show, she heard the word shots as well because yeah. we were in the same energetic link. And because he was a cop, she immediately assumed he was shot in the line of uh, duty. So she allowed her brain to fill in the blanks yeah, as blanks, opposed yeah. to waiting for the information to grow and 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 to build and um you know it 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 was hysterically funny after the show but on camera it wasn't real funny for the host well mark and tim i think it's time that we take our break now it's a good opportunity for it so when we come back we'll continue our conversation with mark anthony i'm tim swartz You are listening to The Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network, so please stay tuned. We will be right back.
introduces our first ever iPhone application, Mobile Talk Radio. Imagine having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. You'll be surprised how easy it is to use. So I think what's going on here is that Obama is banking on unemployment falling. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Talk stream live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Now you can share the topics that drive the discussions of your favorite talk shows with TalkStream Live's topic-driven talk radio. List and promote real-time talk radio topics or post the topics that you want to hear. Hot topics are tweeted and retweeted and include simple click-to-listen audio links. The future of talk radio is topic-driven talk radio. Available now at TalkStreamLive.com. Roswell, UFOs, Flying Saucers, Alien Abduction, Are we alone? Information regarding this and many other questions about the unknown are only a click away at www.theufostore.com. Theufostore.com offers hundreds of DVDs about UFOs, aliens, crop circles, conspiracies, Bigfoot, suppressed science, ancient mysteries. Log on to www.theufostore.com and request a free UFO store catalog. Theufostore.com, the largest selection of UFO products on the Internet. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton. And I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is. Because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress and the Ad Council. We're rewarding you for something you already do, listening to us. It's Radio Loyalty, and it's an easy way for you to get free stuff. All you do is sign up. Go ahead and click the banner now. You'll earn points as you listen, points you can trade in for great products and services in the Radio Loyalty store. You can earn even more points when you share your favorite station with friends on Facebook and Twitter. Radio Loyalty, it's free to sign up, so click the banner to join now. Join the club that gives you stuff. Hey, thanks! Radio Loyalty. Here's how it works. Just click on the Radio Loyalty banner right now and sign up. Then, you keep on listening like you already do. But now, you earn points. Those points add up, and you can trade them in for stuff in the Radio Loyalty store. Earn more points by sharing your station with friends on Facebook and Twitter, answering surveys, and by using the apps in the new player's app store. Pretty simple, right? Radio Loyalty. Click that banner to join now. You're listening to the Outer Edge Radio with William Michael Mott and Tim Schwartz, only on PSN Radio. Welcome back to the Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. Tonight we're talking with Mark Anthony, whose most recent book is Evidence of Eternity, Communication with Spirits for Proof of the Afterlife. Do you... I've I've seen a lot of... um, 
oh, uh, uh, television shows that 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 make fun of uh, these types of uh, uh, psychic mediums that uh, that do these presentations in front of the audiences, yeah, in front of audience where you know they do, you know, uh, they're accused of doing the uh, was it the cold reading types yeah. of things, you know, and you know you got somebody who's up there, he's like, mm, let's see here, um, I'm seeing um, a man, and then immediately somebody in the audience is like, oh my husband was a man, you know, it's like, yes, yes, it's your husband, you know, and he was a man, and he's uh, he's dead, yes, he's dead, you know, and it just goes <laughs> off from there. So, I mean, do you, do you constantly have to uh, face critics who, who show up at these places and just, just literally, really just heckle you, um, uh, you know, because of these... Uh, 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 false impressions that that everybody out there is a fake and doing just cold readings and and um, um, going after the uh, naivety of uh, the audience members. Uh, Tim, you're always going to have a cynics. A, a true skeptic is somebody who says, "I don't know. I'd like to see some evidence." A cynic is a closed-minded person who will not accept anything. Because I hear a lot of people, well, "I'm skeptical. I don't believe that." It's like, no, you're a cynic, and you're closed-minded. Okay, a skeptic is someone who's open-minded. Um, I, you know, you. Whenever you appear in front of a crowd of people, whether it's in my my role as an attorney or in my role as a psychic medium, you're going to have some difficult people. Um, but I've had people, many, many people. Uh, who have come to my presentations and later on when it was over when I was signing copies of my books walked up to me and said I thought this was a bunch of BS but after watching you do this uh, I'm thinking something different now I think this could be real and I remember I had a a one-on-one reading where this lady came to me really sweet lady and she brought a friend of hers and her friend was sitting there with her arms folded with a scowl on her face the whole time <laughs> and she goes i'm a skeptic you know and it's like oh, okay so here's the person that doesn't believe so i'm doing a reading for this woman and 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 i was you know connecting with several different because in a one-on-one several people come through and then um just as the reading was ending i said a father your father is coming through and i said i'm hearing woody woodpecker going like that and the client looks at me and goes, that doesn't make any sense to me. And the skeptic, I looked over her and her mouth, she was gaping, her mouth was open, tears were flowing out of her eyes, and she said, oh, dear God. And I said, what? She said, when I was a little girl, every night, all of a sudden she went from the, 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 the scowling woman to this, like, seven-year-old girl. I mean, you could just see it. She said, Daddy would tuck me in, and then he... He'd, he'd leave my room, then he'd open this door, the door and stick his head and go, Guess who? Like Woody Woodpecker. She goes, Oh, my God. And so this lady has turned into, like, my biggest fan. <laughs> and she sends, she sends all kinds of folks to me. And she said, There's, she goes, You couldn't know that. Because people, people say, Oh, well, you're just going to Google me. Really? Would that be on Google? That your dad used to whistle the Woody Woodpecker thing to you and go, Guess who? Every night when he tucked you in 50 years ago. So, so when when pieces of information like that come through, because because a lot of the people that go, oh, it's cold reading. They're like a toddler. 
like a like a two year old or a three year old that learns a new word. Like impossible, impossible. They run cold reading, cold reading, cold reading. They don't know what cold reading is. Cold reading is where you watch somebody and you look for um, visual and verbal clues based on their their um, facial expressions and, and what they say. Uh, the vast majority of the readings that I do are on the telephone because my my client base is worldwide. I mean, I have people from from every corner of the globe uh, contacting me. And uh, as an evidential medium, and that, that's why I write about this in Evidence of Eternity, is that I have to bring forth facts and evidence about the person. Now, it isn't texting or instant message, messaging. It would be great if it was. Um, and that's because spirits are pure consciousness that are emitting waves of frequency to me, and they can hit me with 20 or 30 concepts at one time. For example, I was doing a reading for a woman, and I said, all right, I described this man. She goes, that's my dad. I go, I keep seeing a spider. He's talking about a spider. No. Okay, so everything was no, 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 no. And so I let it go, and then uh, about 20 minutes later, I said, all right, yeah, your dad's back. You show me a spider. She goes, no. She goes, I don't, I don't want to talk to my dad anymore. I want to talk to my brother. He died recently. He was bit by a brown recluse spider. <laughs> and then she goes, oh, my goodness. And what it was, she was so focused on she wanted to hear from her brother. Well, he was trying to come through, but she kept shooting it down with no, no, no. Now, this is a reading over the phone, okay? If this was cold reading, why would I keep bringing up a spider when her brother recently died from a brown bite of a brown recluse spider? And, and uh, among the other, you know, six relatives that, that came through. And so the difference between somebody who cold reads and somebody who's an evidential medium lies in the evidence and the facts that, that are communicated. But, but the fact of the matter is, uh, Tim and Tim, there are <laughs> always going to be people who just don't want to believe. And that's mm. their choice. That is their choice. Now, Mark, what happened to the great physical uh, mediums? Those that supposedly could levitate and uh, um, uh, evoke uh, ectoplasm and um, do some table tipping. Um, from what I understand with physical mediums, and I was inquiring about them when I was in England, uh, because the, the British have been studying uh, mediumship as a science and as mm -hmm. an evidence-based activity for, for the last two centuries. Um, they're still around, but they're they're very very rare. And I've seen the photographs of the so-called physical mediums with the the faces coming out of their ear and, and all those things. And I'm looking at that, and it's just it's not very convincing to me. And um, I have an appointment to see a physical medium in in October. So you guys uh -huh. or no, excuse me, September. So you guys need to have me back after that yeah. and I'll tell you I'll tell Absolutely. you what happened because I'm just as curious as possible and for the benefit of the listeners, there are three types of mediums. There's mental mediums like myself where I receive information vibrationally and I see it in my mind's eye or I hear it in my mind's ear or I feel it throughout my body. There are trance mediums also referred to as channelers like Edgar Casey, that go into a trance and then begin to um, uh, uh, you know, present information about people and things and medical conditions. And then there's physical mediums who are theoretically able to project a substance from their body known as ectoplasm. 
Now, I know that we all, you know, think of Ghostbusters, and, and I'm looking forward to the new Ghostbusters remake with the, the women. Yeah, I think that would be interesting. But well, um, do, you, do you know that Dan Aykroyd... Uh, I suppose, uh, yes. Course, yeah, well, his family was uh, very much involved in spiritualism. Uh, he's from Canada, of course. His father wrote a book several years ago, I don't know if his day is still alive or not, on physical um, uh, spiritualism and, and apparitions and also Dan grew up around this. It was very much a part of his uh, his life, and I don't think most people realize it. I mean, he just didn't uh, happen upon the theme to that movie. It was kind of based on stuff that had happened to him as a... Uh, uh, you know, sure. a, a child, of course, exaggerated to a great uh, degree for purposes of uh, of Hollywood. But uh, he, 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 he's very much he, he's been on. He was on coast to coast with his father, and they were discussing yes. the same type of uh, things that we're discussing now. And and he knew of the you know the physical uh, the mediumship and and stuff yes. too. Now it, it's just not you know um, just not uh, ectoplasm though. There were a lot of other phenomena uh, yes. that uh, was uh, you know reported. Including in the case of uh, oh Hume, the fellow that levitated out the window and and, and came back in the other window. That's yes. a, a famous case in history. And we've even published a couple of books by uh, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle. And uh, of course, he was a um, great believer in the uh, in the supernatural uh, and in life after death. And was a, uh, 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 a so much a believer that he was even attacked by the skeptics of his time including, of course, Harry Houdini, uh, who was a big, uh, supposedly a non-believer, even though there are people who worked around Houdini that said that some of the things that he did smacked of, uh, you know, uh, spiritual mediumship and so forth. Oh, sure. And, and my understanding is that Dan Aykroyd does have mediumistic ability, and, of course, he doesn't talk as much about it as I wish he would, um, because you know he he gets he gets flack from it as well, um, but but physical mediums are, are fascinating, and you know, so I'm looking forward to the research that I'm going to be doing in September about this. Well, it just uh, um, it 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 makes me it makes me wonder. Okay, now uh, Dan Aykroyd's uh, his father's book, which which is an excellent book. Uh, I wish I could remember its its title, but uh, I, I read it when it first came out. Now, um, uh, Mark, you um, you say that you are a fourth generation medium. That I mean, this runs in your family, and and I've heard this from a lot of people that that these kind of abilities. Uh, uh, do run in the family, and this is kind of a, a, a two-part question here I have for you. First of all, okay, uh, maybe describe uh, uh, to us some of um, your family's background and what you know how they dealt with this. I mean, four generations—that goes quite a ways back. And, and as well, you talked about that that you were raised a Catholic, and I mean that's I would have, I would think that that would have caused some problems with uh, with people who um, you know had these natural abilities to uh, uh, to talk to the spirits, and yet here was you know here, here they're being then faced with Catholic doctrine that uh, you know a, a lot of times doesn't look too favorably upon this well uh okay um there's about 10 questions in there yeah let's, i know let's, let's deal with the catholic doctrine first okay uh, we'll be like Groucho marx answer the second question first all right so <laughs> <laughs> um, 
it depends. There, there, there's different schools of thought within the Catholic Church about this. Mm-hmm. The the base level, the low, like the lower level is don't do that. It's evil. Okay, but uh, a lot of my friends are are priests, and uh, the La Salette order, which is one of the more intellectual orders within the Catholic priest, it's a smaller order based out of France, and their attitude is that well, what do you think the saints were? And the Vatican is well aware of psychic phenomenon for centuries because if you look at people like St. Francis of Assisi who used to pray so heavily that he would bleed from his hands and feet, he developed stigmata he was a channeler, you had St. Anthony of Padua, one of his associates who could lecture in languages he never knew, you had St. Clare of Assisi, interesting, they all knew each other who was a remote viewer she could see things happening in real time that were across, across the, uh, the town, you get Bernadette of Lourdes, who saw visions of the Lady of Light. Now, she never said it was the Virgin Mary. The Catholic Church did an investigation and said that this was a legitimate uh, spiritual communication from uh, from uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Uh, you look at the children at Fatima, and you could go to St. Teresa of Avila, talk about the seven mansions within, which actually she's talking about the chakras. So, Catholic Church has been aware of this phenomena for centuries for centuries and there's a school of thought now that if if contacting a medium will help bring you peace then that's what you should do and my mother's side of the family they were Italian Catholics and this was looked at as a gift from God and the gift of second sight and my great grandmother my mother's grandmother Giovanna um, Giovanna uh, Senna that came over from Italy. In fact, she was featured in um, a PBS special, The Italian-Americans, recently. Uh, there's a whole story on Giovanna, and there's even a reference in there about her psychic ability. It was really cool watching that. And, and so in the Italian side of my family, this was something to be honored. Whereas on my father's side of the family, my dad, um, his sister Marjorie, his mother Isabel, and his, his maternal grandmother Grace all had psychic and mediumistic abilities, and they just kept it real quiet. They were from Pennsylvania. They were, um, in fact, uh, my great great-grandfather on that side of the family was a Baptist minister and founded a church uh, in the town where they lived in, in Pennsylvania. So they looked at it as something that had to be kept quiet and under wraps. And then my parents met and, and they started talking. They said, well, you know, when they met, they just knew. They just kind of like knew that they were supposed to be together. And then they find out, you could do this, you could do that. And so it's a, it's a genetically, uh, it's a genetic trait, it's an inherited trait. And it's a recessive trait. It's like left-handedness. Um, only 10% of the people in the world are left-handed, and it's a genetic thing. Um, so that means 9 out of 10 people are right-handed. But if you get two left-handed parents, the likelihood of them having a left-handed child increases greatly. And so both of my parents have this ability. I've got two siblings. They have intuitive abilities, but they don't appear to be mediums. And it looks like i got the whole kit and caboodle. So... So that's why I say it's a fourth, I'm a fourth-generation medium because I can verify it for four generations. It is logical to assume, even though I don't like to jump to assumptions, but it's logical to assume that there were people with these abilities that went even further back. 
but uh, you know, I just I just don't have any records on that. And plus, you know, the people that knew them are long gone, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, let's talk about your own uh, um, early experiences. I mean, when did you first uh, start to realize that? Um, that you had these kind of abilities, or was it just a situation where I mean, you know, naturally, I mean, you always had them, and you just didn't really think about it too much. You maybe thought that maybe everybody had this. Yeah, especially when I was a child, it just seemed like a very natural thing. And I'd sit there and talk to my invisible friends, which my parents could see. And so, and, and I remember Dad sitting me down and saying, "Please do not discuss this. Don't talk." Well, he didn't say it like that. He said, "Mark, don't talk about this outside of the house." He said, it's okay to talk to your mother and I about this, but people don't understand. And I don't want to give any spoiler alerts, but uh, um, what happened when, when I was on the Never Letting Go book tour, so many people were asking me about my family because I wrote about some of the incidents in my family's history in Never Letting Go. And uh, people really, really wanted to know more and more about, about my family's psychic heritage. So I started doing my research on genetics and I thought, well, to illustrate my point about genetics, the best case I know comes from my family. And uh, we haven't always been treated very well. Uh, psychics and mediums have been persecuted for centuries. Uh, earlier when I was talking about uh, St. Clair of Assisi, she was able to see events in real time that were occurring on the other side of the village that she lived. And she was a very pious nun. She got very ill and was unable to leave the convent, but always wanted to go to Mass. And then she would see what was happening in church. And she would uh, explain this to, to other nuns who t- took notes about this. And, and it got around that, you know, she could do this. Well, 800 years later, Pope Pius XII in 1958 declares her the patron saint of television. Well, that's pretty cool, you know, that there's actually a patron saint of television. Tell me the Vatican doesn't know about psychic abilities. And, <laughs> and you know, remote viewers, I mean, the British were the first to set up a psychic warfare division uh, in the 1930s. And then Germany had one, and the U.S. Uh, developed one, and certainly the U.S. and the Soviet Union. I understand France, North Korea, uh, China, uh, Australia, and Japan all employ psychics and their intelligence agencies. So we can have the the, the Cynics and the closed-minded people who say all oh, this is hooey, but um, a lot of very powerful people for centuries, and certainly in the last seventy years, uh, governments have been have been turning to, to psychics and mediums. But but to answer your question about about the Catholic Church, if you joined the clergy historically, you mm-hmm. were you, and you had these abilities, it was deemed that you were receiving visions of the Holy Spirit. So that was okay. If you were someone like Joan of Arc, who went around medieval France saying she heard voices, even though they helped her, you know, to inspire France to defeat England in the Hundred Years' War, you got burned at the stake like she did. So until recently, a lot of people, particularly in my family, we kept this pretty quiet. 
Well, and uh, can't say can't say as I blame you. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's, it's ridiculous because it just means that we're sensitive to frequency. I mean, some people see better than others. Some people hear better than others. Some people have an enhanced sense of smell or taste. Um, some people are pitch perfect in music. Some people are math geniuses. Others are great athletes. And we're all good at different things. Mm-hmm. And if what every religion uh, since since uh, the dawn of Hinduism five thousand years ago has taught us that the soul pre-exists the body comes into the body and when the body no longer functions moves on and the laws of physics teach us that energy is neither created nor destroyed only transferred from one form to another so i mean there is nothing unusual about us detecting and feeling the presence of of what we are which are spiritual beings it's just that these beings no longer are using a body and so i've never seen it as weird or scary or a curse to me it, it is an ability i i thank god for every day of my life well now mark what do you what do you think um uh, affect that uh, all these uh, paranormal tv shows have had on the acceptance of uh, of this type of uh, of phenomena Oh, I think it's helping. I think it's helping quite a bit because it's putting it out there and making it mainstream. Um, you know, I, I watch some of those shows, and and I realize that reality television is. I love it when they say it's unscripted reality television. Well, I've been in television enough to realize that nothing is unscripted. Okay, you don't show up with a camera crew of twenty people and a production team and with a five million dollar budget on a TV show for for one season and not know what you're going to be doing that day. Okay, they know what you're doing that that whole 16-hour day that they're working every second of that is planned. And when you have a a psychic run into a store and say, oh, oh, here you are um, picking out towels in the linen department. Well, your grandmother wants you to know this, yada, yada, yada. Well, the fact of the matter is, with the 20-person camera crew, and you get 12 different camera angles, close-ups, perfect makeup, perfect lighting, perfect sound, that is anything but unscripted. Oh, and the people in the background, they all have to sign releases. And Mm -hmm. that 30-second reading probably took six hours to film so so when i see these shows i mean i understand what's going on but people think oh it's on television that must be must be real and i'm not saying that the mediums who do these things are not legitimate and are not gifted it's just that i also understand that 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 one to two minute segment took six to eight hours to film and then it was edited down so that it has that perfect flow and that's how television works but the good thing about these shows are it is it is educating the public that um spirit communication is possible is a reality or at the very least it's making them wonder about it and think about it outside of traditional terms now, what sort? Of, what's have you actual actually seen uh, physical phenomena? I mean, have you seen objects fly across the room, or, or yes. what is the best case scenario that you could tell us about? 
Well, when I was in England, we did uh, the table tipping uh, thing when I was at Arthur Finley College. You know, and I was like, I don't know about this, you know, and, and so there's people there, they they got their hands, uh, their fingers on the table, and the table starts rocking back and forth. They go, well, they're doing it, you know, and I'm watching this, and the instructor goes, come on, Mark, and I touch it, it's like, whoa. <laughs> when I touch it, all of a sudden, this surge of energy came through me, and they said, now, ask the spirit to connect with the person that it's associated with and the table you know hobbles over to to an individual and all of a sudden information from the spirit about this person starts coming through me and mm-hmm. and and uh I remember it was a, a guy and he goes oh my god he goes that's my father that you're talking about and so so i thought that that was really fascinating and then i lived in a place uh, when i was in law school i told the story in, in my first book never letting go that i kept things kept flying off the table like little things and uh, i knew that that there was a spiritual entity in the building that i lived i lived in this big old apartment building in the historic district of macon georgia i mean you know so this was a very very old town but it wasn't malevolent or anything like that and i kind of thought it was a bit of a you know i kind of thought it was cool (laughs) (laughs) well gentlemen um I think uh, now is a time that, uh, this is a good point for us to take a little bit of a break here for uh, a couple of minutes, Uh, so uh, why don't we uh, go ahead and do that, and uh, I'll just uh, let our audience know that uh, you are listening to Mark Anthony, the Psychic Lawyer, on the PSN Radio Network. Uh, This is The Outer Edge with Tim Swartz, and tonight uh, my uh, guest uh, co-host is Tim Beckley, so stay tuned. Yes, stay tuned. We will be back in just a few minutes for uh, uh, the the rest of our show with uh, the psychic lawyer, Mark Anthony. So we'll be right back. choose a book. Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is. Because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Green light. Hey girl, school zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text, stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. 
Conspiracy Journal is your number one source for the hidden world of the weird and strange. We bring you thought-provoking and controversial material for free-thinking individuals who are seeking what is really going on in our world today. Some of this material may adversely affect you. Other pieces are meant to enlighten. Either way, be prepared to be intrigued by such things as the reality of UFOs, ghosts, strange creatures from time and space, hidden conspiracies, time travel, Nikola Tesla, suppressed technology, and a whole lot more. You can find out more by visiting our website at conspiracyjournal.com. There you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter sent directly to your email address. You can also receive our free print catalog. Just send your name and mailing address to mrufo8 at hotmail.com. I'll spell that out for you. M-R-U-F-O, the number 8, at hotmail.com. MrUFO8 at Hotmail.com Find out what they don't want you to know. Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions. Providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support. Hardware and custom built computers. Let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call key information solutions now. 954-9 That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. Driving has a rhythm all its own. Don't wreck it with the text. Before you get behind the wheel, silence your phone. Or better yet, designate a texter. For more text-free driving tips, visit StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! <gasps> it's hard to concentrate on two things at once like texting and driving. Stop the text, stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. You're listening to The Outer Edge Radio with William Michael Mott and Tim Schwartz, only on PSN Radio.
To the outer edge on the PSN radio network tonight, we're talking with Mark Anthony, the psychic lawyer. Uh, now, Mark, I, uh, I understand that uh, you're going to be uh, taking a trip to uh, Colorado soon. I am. I'm really excited about being in Colorado the, this coming week on uh, Friday, July 17th, and on Saturday, July 18th. I the, the, on Friday the 17th, I'll be in Boulder at the Caritas Center at 7 p.m. And in Denver, I'll be at the Ramada Plaza Conference Center. And if people want to find out about those events, uh, feel free to go to my website, evidenceofeternity.com, and go to the calendar of events. Or you can follow me on Facebook, uh, Mark Anthony, the Psychic Lawyer, because we've got posts there. And I will be conducting gallery readings for people. In other words, um, I will connect audience members with loved ones in spirit. And both of my books, Never Letting Go, and my new bestseller, Evidence of Eternity will be on sale, and I'll be signing copies of those. And, you know, guys, I I love Colorado. Um, I've been out there a number of times on tour, and it is just such a beautiful place, and I I can't say enough good things. So I really look forward to seeing all my my friends out in uh, Boulder and Denver, Colorado, the 17th and 18th of July. And uh, how how are your turnouts usually on uh, these kinds of programs? Uh, they're usually very very good. I was just in L.A. and the the turnout was really good at my events there. Uh, Houston, I'm a regular on Great Day Houston, the CBS TV morning show. It's always standing room only in Houston. And New York City is good. Atlanta, um, I, you know, I tour all over the country, and the, the turnouts are good. People are very interested in life after death, and and they seem to like. Uh, the approach that I take uh, from an evidential standpoint. Well, now talking about your uh, your most recent book, Evidence of uh, Eternity: Communication with Spirits for Proof of the Afterlife. Now, what was your? Well, I was going to say what was your inspiration to write this book, but I know what your inspiration was to write this book. But uh, I mean, what uh, what what gave you the idea then to uh, uh, to put all this into uh, um, you know? Uh, in, in, into a book because I mean this isn't your first book. What, uh, what what's the name of uh, your, my, your, my your first, first book's book? Never Letting Go and Never Letting okay. Go. I wrote um, if if I can just for a minute. What happened with Never Letting Go mm-hmm. is that after my mom, my mother died, and we were very close. I and mean, she was a medium. I'm a medium, but you know we, our, our relationship was was very good, and we were also friends. You know, I mean, it's like, it's weird when you say, like, you know, I was friends with my mom, but we were, you know, and we just really enjoyed each other's company, and she was the one person I could talk to about this stuff who understood, and when she passed, it was very crushing for me, as as it is whenever anyone's mom or dad or someone that you love dies, and people think that, well, you're a medium, therefore, this shouldn't bother you, but it did, Hmm. And I started going to to the local Catholic Church's grief share group. And I noticed that after a few sessions, I was recovering a lot faster than everyone else because I understand and and I had the the personal experience that 
that uh, there is an afterlife. And so what started happening is that for group members, I'd say, well, if your son were here, I think what he'd want you to know is this, you know, because they were coming <laughs> through. And, and I remember the facilitator of the group, I could see her just like losing her mind. You're like, oh, my God. And, and on a break, she was, she was from Ireland, really sweet lady. And she goes, Mark, you can't be doing this. You're seeing these spirits. I say, yeah, but we're in a Catholic church. I mean, that's what we do. It's like it's all about, you know, spirits. And she goes, you know what I mean. So so I'm at uh, the grocery store a month later, and, and this little tiny lady walks up to me, and I remembered her from the group. And she took me by the hand, and she said, Mark, would you come back to the grief group? You made everyone feel better. And, and I was like, oh, you know, and my heart was breaking. And, and it was at that point, Tim, that I realized I needed to write a book to help people get through the grieving process. And that's what Never Letting Go is about. It's, it's heal grief with help from the other side, how spirits reach out to us, how to recognize when they're around us. Um, it's, it, it's full of inspiration and healing. And so when I was on the Never Letting Go book tour, people started asking me questions about, what happens when I die? Is reincarnation real? Does my animal, you know, does my dog, my cat, I mean, will I ever see them again? Do they have souls? My son committed suicide. Did he go to hell? Um, is there a, a scientific, uh, rational basis for spirit communication? And all these really, really juicy and incredible questions were being posed to me. So I decided to write a book to explain spirit communication based on science theoretical physics, human physiology, and to bridge the gap between the mainstream and the metaphysical. Enough with the woohoo, airy-fairy stuff. Um, uh, Because I see a lot of mediums interviewed, and they go, how does this work? I don't know. Well, I've done my research uh, through um, um, Harvard where I spoke, and Brown and Yale. Also, um, I'm a member of the National Head Injury Foundation. Uh, when I was practicing uh, personal injury law, one of my specializations uh, was working on cases uh, that involved the brain. And then I started branching out into near-death experience research and uh, quantum physics. And I said, look, this is all tying together. There's a physiological basis um, for spirit communication. And in our understanding of it, which is mired in the Victorian era, I said, no, since that time, we now understand string theory, dark matter, frequency, energy transfer, um, vibration, and so that's what culminated uh, in, in the decision to write Evidence of Eternity. Well, uh, Mark, can you tell us a little, what is it, is, do, what happens when we depart the physical plane here? Do we go to, uh, to, uh, to heaven? What is, it, what is it like there? What is the spirit world uh, like? Um, you ever take one of those nine volt batteries, those square batteries, and stick them on your tongue? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Every boy has done it. It's funny because when I use this example, all the women in the room look at me like a clueless, and all the guys are like smirking, like yeah. Oh yeah. Um, spirits tell me, and and the way they 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 they, they make it feel. That's kind of what it feels like when you leave the body. When your spirit separates from the body, you get this sort of like tingly sensation. And it's not painful, but it's it's tingly, which makes sense because the spirit being pure energy and having an electrical component to it, as far as we can tell, when it separates from the body. And then um, what the near-death experience researchers and the top three in the world have endorsed evidence of eternity. Um, in fact, uh, when I was talking to them, uh, they said, what we like about your book 
is that your observations coincide with over 40 years of survival of consciousness studies. Mm-hmm. And so when you separate, they, they talk about the proverbial tunnel and the light, and, and it's not you know identical every time. I mean, sometimes it's a door that opens and all this, but there is this, this light that comes, comes at uh, the person's spirit, and then they're greeted by people that you know who have died. And where my my research goes farther, and Dr. Kenneth Ring says this, and, and actually wrote this in the foreword uh, to, to Evidence of Eternity, he said that my observations and my research take up where the NDE trail goes cold, because the near-death people then come back. Well, obviously my people don't. They're on the other side, and they talk about going farther into the light and the light is the spiritual energy of god at least that's that's the best way i can describe it and the 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 feeling of euphoria and love and weightlessness and total inner peace and joy is beyond beyond our ability to describe and the way the way i can analogize it is sometimes they'll let me feel what it's like and i can only handle it for a couple seconds it's like being a single wire suddenly confronted with all of the electricity that needs to flow through uh, los angeles it's like wham it's just too too intense and and uh there appears to be levels and frequencies to the other side interesting the electromagnetic spectrum, visible light is part of that, and that it would be like a, a piece of string on a yardstick. In other words, the yardstick would be all of the gamma rays, x-rays, microwaves, um, you know, all, all sorts of, of, of waves and frequencies that we are incapable of perceiving. So what we can perceive is just a minute uh, fraction. Think about all the different frequencies that make up um, AM, XM, FM radio. I mean, there, there's just so many different frequencies out there. Our, our science and technology has only scratched the surface, and I think that in time we'll be able to have a greater understanding of it. So the other side isn't quite as easy as, as it was when I was a kid. I know Protestants believe if you're good, you go to heaven. You're bad, you go to hell. Catholics mm-hmm. believe that if you're Catholic, you go to heaven. If you're Protestant, you go to purgatory. And if you're everybody else, you go to hell. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there, there's quite a bit more to it. Quite a bit more to it than that. Well, but our. Is there a is there a, a world there? Do they have cities? Do they have streets? Uh, do they eat? Uh, is I, there sex in the afterlife? Um, well, if there's a legal system, then I might start believing in hell. Um, <laughs> but but um, I, I've I've asked about things like that because sometimes they'll come through and they'll be like somebody will come through and they're eating a piece of apple pie. It's like, are you really eating pie? And they're like, no. And I said, well, why are you doing that? And the the best explanation I can get is that they're creating a point of reference you and I can understand because they're in an infinite, purely energetic state, and we have no real point of reference for understanding that. Do they have cities? I don't think so, but it is possible, but it may not be a city in the way that we would understand a city. And 
what it is, we're in finite material form. Everything we know has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And our brain is like a cork in, in the bottle where our consciousness is housed. And the brain is an organ, albeit an extremely complex organ, which is designed to process and, and, and perceive limited things. So it appears that there, the, we come into this incarnation for various reasons because there are things here in the material world that we can't experience on the other side. Over there, you don't get old, you don't get sick, you don't grow old, I mean, you don't die. Um, and, and, but here, you can experience all of those feelings and emotions, and it appears to have some type of value that affects what we're doing when we leave. And so, when the body dies, the brain, the human ego dies, and then we revert back to an immortal um, state. So it's very, very difficult, and this is what they've communicated to me, because I'm like, wow, this is pretty heavy, and they say, yeah, well, that's about all you, you're capable of comprehending, hmm. because our brain and our ability to perceive is based on finite perceptions, always was and always will be, infinity, the universe constantly expanding. When you try to really wrap your head around those, it's impossible for a reason. One of the things that has has occurred to me, and and this has often been described um, from those who have passed on, is that uh, you know the 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 other planes of reality are, are are outside of you know time and space as we know it, and if that's the case, then when you pass on. It's it's not a it's not a factor then that you know you 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 have to wait for your loved ones to to join you later on they're already there everybody is already there because it's outside of time and space and and if that's the case then why do they uh, why is there an attempt to communication then um, with those who are <laughs> uh, and, and I'm kind of and I'm and I'm kind of putting my wrapping myself into a quantum corner here uh, why would they attempt then to communicate with those who are still here on the earth plane because that you know that that spirit is still i mean that spirit is already there <laughs> does that does that make sense am i making myself it, it uh, abs- clear no, absolutely makes sense it's because of love mm-hmm. it's because of love because we're all energetically in- interconnected in the chapter that I, that I that i call frequency beacons a frequency beacon think of it this way Everyone that you know, both on this side and the other side, we're all energetically linked. Think of right. a three-dimensional spider web minus the spider. And it's, it's like parents who know that something terrible has happened to one of their children, okay, and then the children's not present. Or you just know something going on with a loved one. You just get that feeling because that's, that's the vibration along that tether. And so when, when people leave the material world and they feel the grief and the agony that people are going through. I mean, I, I, on my grief support group on website, the Never Letting Go Grief Support Group, there are people who are grieving children who died 10, 15, 20 years ago as if that child died yesterday. And I'm not faulting the people, but they're in a state of complicated bereavement. And spirits are able to pick up on that, and they adjust their frequency from the higher plane to come and be with us. 
and they reach out because they love us and they don't want to see us go through this type of agony. That's also why, and you put it really beautifully in your question, the way you know they're in this this plane and everything's wonderful and time doesn't have any meaning. Um, that's why when spirits come through to communicate, they're not like, oh, boo-hoo, I'm dead. Uh-huh. They don't miss being in this world at all because they're now an infinite immortal being. Now, I've got to be mm-hmm. careful saying this. And the reason I have to be careful is that people who are suicidal, and I go in depth into suicide and the other side in, in evidence of eternity, um, suicidal people are so unhappy with the reality of this, this life, or, the, or at least at the, the point that they're perceiving it, um, I don't want to encourage anyone to intentionally cut their life short. And um, if people are clinically depressed or you are very sad and you are entertaining thoughts of suicide, please reach out for help. There are, are suicide hotlines 24-7 with trained professionals who are there because they want to help, because they do care. And um, suicide is a very complicated behavior, and and I've received so many requests um, to conduct readings for people who've lost loved ones to suicide. That's why I wrote about it to the extent that I did in Evidence of Eternity. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that's a very complicated and, uh, um, and sad subject to address because I think pr- pr- practically all of us have lost somebody to suicide. And, uh, I mean, I know that when... When I was I was brought up, um, I had friends who belonged to different religions that believed that you know suicide was just an automatic trip to hell. Yes, and and I just you know and that just that just really disturbed me because I mean even when I was young I realized that you know if somebody was to go as far as to take their own life, then there is something something else going on beyond just you know uh, black and white you know good or evil or or, or whatever the situation and I, and I just really had hoped that you know God was a little bit more you know uh, um, feeling than just to say, well, you know, you committed suicide. I don't care what your mental state was. You're going to hell. <laughs> well, why, and, and why, that, why are we the, so quick to want to send people to hell? Yeah, exactly. Well, because suicide inflicts such agony on the survivors that all the religions, which are created by human beings, create mm. these proscriptions against it. It's like, if you commit suicide, you will go to hell because they want to, um, religious leaders have wanted to, to deter people from doing it. And the fact of the matter is there's no one size fits all for people who commit suicide. And we're all the children of God, and no loving parent would condemn a child to an eternity of misery, and God being the most loving parent of all would not do that to us. Once again, I'm not advocating uh, people committing suicide, but for those who are wondering, you know, did my child go to hell or did my my husband or my loved one go to hell, um, there is no hell. Yet there are levels to the other side. There also is reincarnation. And suicide sets off a very complex chain of events, both on this side and the other side. But as, and we have to take each case separately. 
I mean, somebody who is dying horribly, let's say from ALS or, or terminal cancer, where they're in excruciating agony, who who cuts his or her life short, is a lot different than somebody who goes in to commit suicide to inflict uh, revenge and grief upon somebody to intentionally do that. Those are two very, very different acts. Or somebody who is so out of their mind with with depression or mental illness or drug addiction certainly cannot be held to the same standard as somebody who do, who inflicts it um, as a form of revenge. And so, so there's no one-size-fits-all about that. Um, and, and the reason religions have, have tried to steer people away from it is because of the pain that it causes. Mm-hmm. I have, I, I have uh, one last uh, question before I have to uh, uh, depart. I mean, not to the afterlife, just... Listen, the way my health has been going downhill lately, who the heck, uh, <laughs> who the heck knows? But what is, what is reincarnation all about? I mean, we hear some people say, oh, there's no reincarnation. Once you get to the spirit world, you're not going to come back. Um, what, what, how do you see uh, reincarnation uh, working? Do we come back as a, uh, another human being? Do we come back to our loved ones? If they're still alive, uh, can we come back in other forms? I, I I don't believe in the transmigration of souls. In other words, I don't believe you're going to be a dog or a cat or a parakeet. If you're, but if you're a jackass this time, you'll probably be one next time. <laughs> well, you might be on the receiving end of jackassery next time. I better watch my feet. I better watch my P's and Q's then. <laughs> well, you know, there's a reason that all religions uh, ha- uh, can be summed up in two words. Be nice. Seriously, if you think mm-hmm. about it, you know, treat other people the way you want to be treated. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Whatever you do will come back on you. Whatever a man shall reap, he shall sow. Uh, the law of karma and balance. There's a reason that we're encouraged by spiritual um, leaders to be kind and to be nice uh, to each other because our human system of justice, and as an attorney I can say this with 100% um, conviction and belief, it is flawed. It is flawed. (laughs) However, God's eternal system of balance is not. So if you are the one who inflicts agony upon people in this life, you don't know what's waiting for you in the next life. So be nice. Well, we we try to we try to do our best here at PSN uh, Radio. Uh, anyway, I'm I'm going to take off for now, and uh, I thank you, uh, Tim, for invite, invite inviting me on. And there's the uh, there's the doorbell, so I got to go. All right, take care, everybody, and uh, remember uh, Saturday night it's unraveling the secrets. Hey, you almost you almost forgot your own. Uh, show there, Tim. <laughs> All right. Well, I uh, appreciate uh, Tim Beckley uh, helping me out uh, uh, here today. But uh, I think uh, I think we can continue our conversation uh, just uh, between the two of us, Mark. Um, there, there was something you know you were addressing 
reincarnation. And uh, this kind of goes back to, you know, what I had said earlier about uh, uh, the astral planes having, uh, you know, it, it's timeless. I mean, it's it's beyond our time and space. And we think of reincarnation as a, you know, uh, as linear, that, you know, one life happens, you know, after the other and so on and so forth. But um, would it be more along the lines that we are actually living right now all of uh, all of the past lives and this life and future lives right now, just all kind of like a uh, 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 in, in a present state, so to speak. I mean, you know, our our minds are unable to conceive the idea of uh, everything going on at the same time. But I've often wondered if this is the case, and if this is this is why a lot of times, you know, when you dream at night, you know, you dream of these uh, uh, other realities that that seem to be coexisting, uh, you know, a- alongside our, uh, of our own. Uh, I I tend to agree with that. That our our spirit, our soul, is actually a multi-dimensional being, and the reason that we're tethered to other uh, spirits and other people is because our higher self, if you will, the the, um, higher functions or higher aspects of our soul are connected to the other side, yet our consciousness is living in the material world, or at least uh, for the time being. And so um, we well, the Hindus believe that in your next life could actually be in the past, or what we consider to be the past. So reincarnation is is very complex, and the soul maintains the memories and the experiences of all the incarnations that we've had and possibly the ones that we will have. So once again, it's difficult for us in finite material world form to completely grasp and comprehend um, the reality of an infinite existence. Mm-hmm. Well, and that uh, uh, that brings me to probably uh, uh, this. This is probably one of the next most asked questions to you by uh, by your clients. Is um, uh, do our pets? Do animals uh, uh, survive uh, you know, in, into the afterlife? Will we see them again? I mean, right now I have uh, one of my cats outside my office door uh, meowing away, and I would just I would just hate the thought that um, that an afterlife would be you know sans our our pets. <laughs> it, it's only human arrogance which would conclude that um, animals have no souls. Any being capable of the emotion of love is capable of spirit communication. They're alive. They have energy. Energy is neither created nor destroyed, only transferred from one form to another. And animals manifest intelligence differently than we do because of their physical makeup and, and, you know, they don't need, they're not as fragile as human beings are. That's why animals can live outside um, and be exposed to the elements, so to speak. But that doesn't in any way diminish their ability to, to communicate from the other side or to be on the other side. In fact, in Evidence of Eternity, I wrote a chapter about animal communication because they do communicate from the other side. They are on the other side. And quite frankly, I mean, what would heaven, what would an afterlife be without our beloved animal friends? 
Yeah, I know. I mean, that's uh, <laughs> that's what I always thought. I mean, you know, I mean, yeah. I, I've, I've had I've had pets, you know, that, that all my life, and you can't tell me that that they do not have the same capacity for love and feelings and and, oh, they, and they love. the soul. I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, I've had dogs and cats, and the way they looked at me, and they knew that they loved me. And then, um, you know, there's there's some animals that just don't like me. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, for whatever reason, you know. Um, I remember seeing this science fiction story when I was a kid, and and uh, there was this gorilla that they caught, and it hated this one guy, and and this, the the whole premise of the science fiction story was this gorilla remembered him from a prior lifetime. Oh my gosh! I mean, it was like ooh, you know, it was one of those, you know, Twilight Zone or something like that, or or Night Gallery or one of those Rod Sterling scary type things. Um, but animals think. They just think differently than we do. I mean, when you live with animals, you know that they think. I mean, there's a lot right. of behaviors. Oh, they just respond to stimuli. It's like, no, I, you know, that that's a very, that's that B.F. Skinner, you know, behaviorism, which certainly has uh, credence on some level. But uh, there's so much more to the animal kingdom than, than uh, we are completely aware. I mean, when you see... Um, I saw these films of this uh, this guy. He used to take care of these giraffes, and he was dying of cancer. And he wanted to see the giraffes one last time. And they put him, you know, in this this room, which is adjacent to where the giraffes were kept. And they, these these majestic animals came up, and they put their their noses and their snouts. Uh, next to him, they loved him. Mm. I mean, uh, come on. Uh, or you put a uh, a person with cancer in a in a pool full of dolphins, and they go up and they touch with their snout where the cancer on the body of that person is. Mm-hmm. You can't tell me that these beings are stupid, right? Well, now has have you been have you ever been given any indication on? Um, what is the difference? Uh, I mean, you know, once once we leave um, the material world, what's the difference then between the souls of humans and the souls of animals? I mean, is there a difference? Does it does it matter? Um, you know, earlier when we were discussing about non-human uh, spiritual intelligence on the other side, you know, a lot of people, oh, it's a demon, it's a demon. Well, it could be the spirit of a dog that you're mm-hmm. picking up and you don't understand what it's communicating to you so therefore you interpret oh that's evil when actually the dogs that come up saying hey how you doing uh, <laughs> uh, that's an interesting point <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> um but um it's hard to say. You know, I have insights into this. I don't know if anyone would would know that answer. I don't. I don't know if anyone knows the answer. And and you know, psychic ability doesn't make somebody all knowing and all seeing. It gives us insights and impressions and an understanding of things. But I can say this: that animals do go to the other side. They do exist in the spirit realm. And I've had countless uh, um, animals communicate from the other side. So now, when you do when you do get these communications uh, uh, from animals, I mean, how um, uh, how is it impressed upon you? Because I mean, you know, people tend to think um, along the lines of words, and and I would imagine that animals would think more along like in uh, like visual images. They, they do. It's feelings, emotions, and also they're black, white, right, wrong, yes, no. Mm, okay. uh, animals are very direct in how they communicate. You know, human beings. Uh, we have all sorts of subtleties and nuances and strings attached to our our relationships, and you know animals either like you or they don't. 
Okay, right. and, and they're going to you know tell you one way or the other uh, what they're feeling. And sometimes they can give very accurate and detailed messages, and and I definitely uh, get into this. In, and it's another spoiler spoiler alert, but um, in in the chapter on animal communication, uh, one of the most incredible incredible readings I had actually was uh, for this canine officer whose whose uh, dog had died. Mm. There you go. There's 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 an even better uh, reason. Uh, as if, as if anybody needs one to go out and uh, and, and get your book, but uh, you know, uh, that, that, that I just I I love I love those kinds of stories, and I mean they just uh, they just really fill me, you know, with with hope. I mean, I've always. I've always had a feeling. I mean, and of course, with the type of work that I, you know, that I do, and, and and the type of research that I've done over the years. I mean, I've been, you know, I've always been convinced, you know, that all of this is real. So it's just, it's great to see, you know, someone like yourself, uh, uh, you know, come out with a book like this and and, and talk about the, uh, these kinds of experiences because you know there are a lot of people out there who you know they sit on the fence. I mean, they they don't know one way or the other whether or not they should believe in stuff like this until you know they actually do lose a loved one and i mean it just hits them so hard and the fact that you know they can turn to you know someone like yourself and i mean you know it's it just it, it, it just it just gives them hope knowing that there's more there's more than life than this and, and you know i think it would be very depressing if this was all there is and and I know that the the atheists and and the the nihilists are all about well this is it when you're dead you're dead but but it there isn't and since the dawn of history millions and millions of people have reported communication with spirits of loved ones I mean and I and I know I always talk about religions because uh, even though I was uh, considering joining the clergy uh, I decided not to but that has not stopped my study not only of Christianity but of of Judaism and Hinduism and Islam and Buddhism and Native Americanism and all the religions bring something to the table. And, and Tim, I, I want to, for the benefit of the listeners, my website, evidenceofeternity.com, not only does it tell you about um, my books, but you can see videos of, of my television and some uh, in-person interviews and appearances. But there's also a section on my website called Grief Management. And it is, it's a free resource for anyone who's coping with the loss of a loved one. It talks about the immortality of the soul, uh, coping strategies, affirmations, prayers. And there's a section that I want to share with everyone entitled, The Best and Worst Things to Say to Someone in Grief. Because if someone you know has lost a loved one, um, we always want to console them, but sometimes you can say the absolute worst thing to them. Like, you're young, you'll meet somebody else. Oh, my gosh. Or, well, you can always have another child. Um, he's in a better place. Mm. No. <laughs> the better place is here with, with mm. the loved ones. That's how the bereaved person is looking at it. It's better to say, you know, your husband was such a great guy one of the things that I always liked about him was, and then share a funny story or a heartwarming story, or say, you know, your mother was always so kind to me. Um, she always made me, 
She never made me feel like an outsider. What a great lady. That's what people want to hear. And if you don't know what to say, sometimes just hug them. And, and just saying, look, I don't know what to say, but I'm here for you if you ever want to talk. Those are the type of things that, that you do for people. Don't tell them, oh, it's been a year. Aren't you over it yet? People don't don't want to hear that. Or by saying some things, you may be intending to be helpful, but you're doing exactly the opposite. So the grief management section of my website, evidenceofeternity.com, has been a resource for, for many people, and I'd like to, to share that with all the listeners. Well, thank you very much. I'm, I'm, you know, happy that you did, and you know, and and I think that uh, you know, a lot of people think that just you know, just because you may have a belief in the afterlife, doesn't I mean that still doesn't mean it, uh, you know, that you're missing your loved ones, that you know, that it hurts. You know, it doesn't matter if uh, if they're continuing on, you know, in another plane of reality, they're not here, and I miss them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. We miss the physical presence, and and part of the journey through grief is understanding that life life is everlasting, but it's also trying to to realize that the physical presence of that person is gone. That's what died. That's what's never coming back, mm-hmm. at least in this life. And what we have to realize is that our, our relationship has gone from one of a physical nature to one of a spiritual nature, and where people. Uh, in in complicated bereavement. Complicated bereavement is where the grief takes on a life of its own and it becomes that person's life. Where you keep saying, I want him here, I want him here, I want him here. If only, if only, if only. All right, that is normal in in the beginning stages of grief. But ten years later, when you're still, I want him here, that is complicated bereavement. And that's people who have not accepted the reality of the death. Because the journey through grief is something you go through, not something you get over. And it's important to realize that you're going to go through stages of anger and depression and downright hatred and bitterness and then depression and, and, and a feelings of hopelessness. But then there will be an upward turn and the new normal forms. And that doesn't mean you're all happy and everything's good. It means that you've accepted the reality that that person is no longer living in the material world. And through that acceptance, you can find inner peace. Mm-hmm. Because we should all have inner peace. Mm-hmm. Nothing's worse than living in fear and grief and anger and bigotry and hatred. Um, when we, we use the word disease, the root word is ease. And when somebody has a dis-ease, their body, their mind is out of balance. And that's, that's an illness. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, the thing that I like about the type of work that, that you're doing, Mark, is that it really, it transcends, um, man-made religions. Um, you know, I mean, so many people get caught up in the dogmas of their personal religions that, that, that they approach death then in a way of, um, well, like you said, like in fear and despair almost. And and what you do, I mean, it goes it goes beyond that. You know, it doesn't matter what you know uh, what the reli- you know, what your religion is or what the, any religion is. Um, we live on. There, there's no death. You know, it's just uh, it's just a transition. We 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 do, and and 
you know, I, I take an interfaith approach because I believe that there is wisdom in, in all the religions. Where I have a problem with religion is when people use it to justify anger, bigotry, hatred, and violence. And religions have been used to justify the most horrific acts imaginable. And religions don't tell people to do those things. Uh, Jesus never said, we're all the children of God, comma, except for the following people. <laughs> okay? I never said that. Neither did Buddha. <laughs> okay? And, and, you know, and Islam gets, gets, uh, comes under fire a lot, but uh, there was something uh, in the Quran where Muhammad said that you should have seven neighbors in seven directions. Okay? In other words... You need to reach out and to, to be friendly with people. I mean, Islam does not justify the destruction of world heritage sites and beheading of people because they're different from you, okay? But religion and religious fanatics do. And, and a problem I have with, with our news media is when they refer to these terrorists and their spiritual advisors. No, those mm. are religious advisors, and I wish they would call them that. Because nothing spiritual is controlling, destructive, hateful, angry, judgmental, or bigoted. Um, so, so when you say that so-and-so terrorist was killed along with his spiritual advisor, no, 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 that's his religious advisor. And, and there is a big difference. And this, this is something that, that I, you know, I've said to, to many uh, uh, media outlets. And they say, well, thank you for, for bringing up the distinction. Because to be spiritual means that you are focusing on peace and love and understanding and the spiritual connection with God. A religion can most definitely be a conduit to spirituality. So that's why I'm not knocking religions. All religions are branches of the same tree. It doesn't matter what you call God, just so long as you call. But when you start using religion as a moral justification for your own ego-driven agenda or political agenda, then it ceases to be about God, and then it becomes about the ego, which can be referred to as edging God out. Well said. I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> yeah, I guess I got up on my spiritual soapbox there, but but um, that's why because I see in in my ministry to to help people understand uh, about God, I have a lot of gay people and lesbians come to me and they say, you know, I grew up as a Baptist or a Catholic or a Jew, and I feel disenfranchised from my religion. Mm -hmm. And what I try to tell them is that God exists in spite of religion, not because of religion. Okay, so realize that, you know, while these hateful religious fanatics may be sitting in judgment of you, God is not. Unless, of course, you know, you, you do things to inflict uh, pain and agony upon other people. Uh, it's amazing when I, when I hear, and, and I'm going to do something I never do. I'm going to get a little bit uh, political right now. Please do. Uh, I absolutely admire and adore Pope Francis, a man who reaches out to the downcast and the outsiders and the disenfranchised. A man who is, is the head of a very conservative <laughs> organization <laughs> who is catching a lot of flack in his organization because he's actually talking about peace and love and understanding. And then when you see some of these evangelicals um, or, or a silly politician like Rick Santorum mm. who uses his quote-unquote religion to, as a justification 
to say hateful and judgmental things about people that he does not personally approve of. I think it all comes down to this. You know that you've created God in your own image when God hates the same people you do. <laughs> Amen, brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, you know, and I, I, I know my, my publicist and my image consultant and all that. They're like, don't ever talk about politics. It's like, yeah, but I have to sit there. I'm also a legal analyst, and people, you know, mm. ask me about these things. And, and it's like, you know, um, Gandhi may have said it best when he said, I like your Christ, but I don't like you Christians because you don't act like your Christ. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 like the prayer I heard one time. It was like, "What was it? You know, dear uh, uh, dear God, please protect me from your followers." <laughs> and, and it's true. And the fact of the matter is, that, but religions can be beautiful. And so I love going to I love going to uh, um, uh, different religious ceremonies. I mean, when I was in the Far East, I just loved hanging out with the Buddhists. Mm-hmm. And I've been to Hindu ashrams, and I've been to Passover dinners and and i've seen muslims at prayer and and it's like you know uh, worshiping god and, and connecting with god's a beautiful thing and it should draw us together and that's why you know when pope francis recently had muslims at the vatican they prayed together oh people are that is blasphemy and heresy he's like well maybe interfaith dialogue is a good thing maybe we should all agree that okay um there is a God. We're all praying to the same God. We have our cultural differences. And stop about the we're right and you're wrong because you're wrong, you're going to hell. Right, right. Because <laughs> anyway, uh, my uh, ran over your dogma. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I can, I can, uh, I can just hear your uh, publicist now. Yeah, <laughs> like oh, scream. But, but you know. Um, uh, some sometimes these things do need to be said, and and uh, you know I get a lot of hateful comments that so-called Christians and another religionist um, write on my my social media, and social media merely gives cowards and um, a, a means to be bullies. And the oh, fact yeah. of the matter is, if you treat people the way you want to be treated. Uh, Gandhi said, "The change, be the change you wish to see in the world. Don't go around proclaiming your religiosity and your holier-than-thou-ness. How about acting it? Treat people the way you want to be treated and realize that your rights end where someone else's nose and feelings begin. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. Um, well, you know, we're, uh, we only have... Uh, about five minutes or so left in the program, but I wanted to ask you about, um, have you ever been approached um, by law enforcement on various cases that uh, that they are having trouble solving? Uh, I know I've uh, heard a lot of stories from uh, you know from people who, uh, and of course the you know the cops won't admit that they've uh, <laughs> that they've actually gone to somebody. But I mean, has anybody approached you ever and and said, "Can you help us out? Do you have any impressions?" That sort of thing. Uh, yes, they have uh, on a number of occasions, and you know because I'm a, known as the psychic lawyer, everyone's like, "All right, go solve cases." Well, you know, it's not texting or instant messaging. Right. And what surprises a lot of people is many times spirits really aren't that 
that concerned with solving their murder. And, and immediately people say, well, that's outrageous, that's ridiculous, why wouldn't they? So because they see things from an infinite perspective. And, you know, our system of justice may not get the bad guy or the bad girl, but the uh, the law of balance, the law of karma, the infinite justice of God will. But uh, with psychic and mediumistic impression, it is not admissible in a court of law. However, it can direct the police to find uh, leads which can lead to acquiring evidence which is admissible in a court of law. So more police agencies than you might think are consulting psychics and mediums behind the scenes because Mm -hmm. we can be helpful. You know, it would be great if the spirit would pop in and say, yeah, it's John Doe committed this murder, and his address is this, his social security number is this, and, you know, it's like, what was that show Clue? It was uh, Colonel Mustard in the library with the poker, you know? (laughs) It would be great if it were like that, but uh, um, um, and sometimes it is. Sometimes it is like that, but uh, but not always. Hmm. That's really interesting because I mean, uh, I've I've heard the same thing from uh, um, uh, from members of the police force that I have worked with over the years, and I mean, they've they've readily admitted to me that I mean, a lot of them have you know like favorite people that they will go to uh, time and time again when they're when they're having problems, and that. Um, uh, Boy, they say they've told me that you know, like a majority of the time, that they have really assisted them. I mean, really helped them uh, with leads that uh, that would help uh, crack the case. And like you said, I mean, you know, it's not admissible in court, but I mean, it's they they never bring up that point anyway. So you know, I'm 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 happy that uh, that you actually that you actually said that and it makes me wonder sometimes about uh, you know some of these uh, uh, you know psychics. I can't think of anybody recently, but you know some of the ones in the past who have really gone out of the way to publicize their involvement with certain very famous cases. I, there was one like with the Boston Strangler, and I, and I can't remember the name of the uh, uh, the psychic. I think he was he was Dutch. That I mean, boy, there was a lot of. Uh, um, a lot of press over that, but I think they, you know, like you said, a majority of them really prefer to work behind the scenes. Yes, and and I think that's best because um, let let's say something comes in, and um, um, we could do a whole show just on this. Oh, sure. And, and you say, um, well, or for example, when when Amanda Berry, um, when with Sylvia Brown was totally crucified in the media for when Amanda Berry's um, uh, was located. And Amanda mm-hmm. Berry's mother was on the Montel Williams show, and she said, is my daughter alive? And she said, oh, well, there was a dark-skinned man, and I get something Cuban, and she's underneath the house. And, and no, no, and, and where Sylvia made a mistake, because she said, yeah, uh, she's, I don't think, think she's alive. The next time you'll see her will be on the other side. Well, of course, everyone jumped all over her. All right, long story short, um, the problem with Sylvia is she used to, to jump to conclusions too quickly. First off, um, the, Amanda Berry's mother died within a year of that interview and before Amanda Berry was found. So you can look at it as, well, the next time she will see Amanda is on the other side. Hmm. She said a dark-skinned man who was Cuban. Well, he wasn't Cuban, but his name was Castro. Okay. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. 
And uh, it's like, you know, if I see an image of, of Disney World, that could also mean the city of Orlando because Disney World is near Orlando. And so when, when an impression comes in, spirits are sending waves of information to us, waves of frequency, which my brain takes in and then has to convert into recognizable concepts based on my memories, feelings, uh, and cultural references. So for, for Sylvia Brown, she's getting this whole Cuban thing, who's the leader of, 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 of Cuba, the Castro family. And she was being kept, I think, um, uh, underneath the house, like in the basement. Okay, so there was a lot, if you start analyzing it, uh, that could have been there. But she would be on the show and just start flinging things out at people as opposed to saying, well, this is what I'm getting, and it can be interpreted in a couple different ways. And that's why I try to be very cautious when, when I, I get information. I'll say, I'm seeing this. Does this make sense in any way? It's like uh, the image with um, the woman who kept saying that spiders didn't make sense to her. Mm -hmm. She only wanted to talk to her brother who was bitten by a spider that killed him. And it's Hmm. like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, now, um, how difficult is it? For those who have passed on to actually, uh, uh, you know, uh, communicate, you know, with the with, with the material world. I mean, I would think that you know, just as it's it would be difficult for us, it's probably just as difficult on that side as well. Um, for them, it's very easy because they can come to us anytime they want. Also, they're they're armed with this uh, infinite perspective on things. But it can be frustrating when they're trying to get through and somebody keeps blocking them or dismissing the communication. Mm-hmm. But uh, they're going to get through to you one way or the other. Mm-hmm. They will get their message through. Whether or not you're open to it, that's the question. Right. Well, I mean, is there, there's, there's probably just kind of like a, almost like a natural filtering system that the living has to kind of block that out because, oh, I mean, oh, you, sure, sure. Well, yeah, I mean, you, yeah. go ahead, go ahead. Well, then there's other people, and I write about this in Evidence of Eternity, um, this, this CEO who came to me and he kept showing me pictures on his cell phone of his wife sitting on the couch. He used to see my son's faces in the, in the couch. My son's face is in the wall and he's going on and on and on. And I said, look, he's not on the couch, he's not on the wall. Okay? He is an immortal living spirit and he is around you. And he burst into tears and he said, you know, that, that uh, he just wants to see his son so badly. And it's interesting because some people wrote me some really scathing emails. How dare you say that? You don't know. They, they are around, you know, um, and uh, they are in the wall. Hold on a second. Okay. They are in the wall. And it's like, no, they're sorry about that. Oh, the, no, don't worry. What it is, spirits do appear and you can pick them up in pictures. Uh, around you but mm-hmm. in this particular case he was in a state of complicated bereavement and even his wife said look she goes i don't see my son in that picture i don't see him in the wall but he is convinced that he is and um i was trying to help him get beyond a state of complicated bereavement uh to understand that his son's an immortal living spirit but that doesn't mean that a son can't communicate from the other side right, right. and that you may pick up a picture um, uh, and an orb or even a face, but in that particular instance, it, it, it wasn't there. But some people really went off on that part of the book because they weren't understanding what I was saying. Mm-hmm. Well, Mark, unfortunately, we are just about out of time, so I want to take this opportunity to uh, to let you uh, uh 
let our audience know about uh, uh, where they can find your books, uh, uh, your websites, uh, 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 places that you're going to appear in the near future. So you know, now's the time to do it. Uh, evidenceofeternity.com. Um, my, the, my website's the same name as my new best-selling book. And if you go to my calendar of events on evidenceofeternity.com, you can find out about when I'll be in Boulder, Colorado, Friday, July 17th at 7 p.m. at the Caritas Center in Boulder. And it'll, it'll tell you about how to get tickets to that. Uh, on, on Saturday, July 18th at 7 p.m., I'll be in Denver at the Ramada Plaza Conference Center. And uh, once again, if you go to my website, evidenceofattorney.com, you can find out about my books, how to order them. They're on sale worldwide at all Barnes & Nobles, Books A Million, and all fine independent bookstores. Plus, you can get them on Amazon, Walmart.com, eBay.com, and and um, I understand um, also Sam's is carrying it now. Oh, fantastic. So... Uh, do you, do you have a, 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 another one that you're in the process of writing or thinking about writing for in the future? Oh, yeah. I'm always working on another book. I'm, I'm uh, developing uh, ideas for it, and uh, um, at some point I'll, I'll, I'll dig into that. But right now I'm enjoying uh, traveling across the country, meeting so many wonderful people on the Evidence of Eternity book tour. And, Tim, I really want to thank you for having me on PSN Radio. Uh, you guys are great, and I look forward to returning. Well, thank you very much, Mark. I mean, it was a real pleasure having you on with us uh, tonight, and uh, I hope that uh, you can come back again uh, and talk to us in the near future. Sounds great. And to all the listeners, thank you very much, and God bless you. All right. Well, you've been listening to uh, Mark Anthony here on The Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. I'm Tim Swartz. Thank you very much for listening. We really appreciate it. Be sure to tune in again this time next week for another fascinating uh, program on The Outer Edge. So from uh, Tim Swartz, uh, Mike Mott, Tim Beckley, and our guest Mark Anthony, thanks for listening, and we'll see you again really soon. Good night.